from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. Around the World with Michael Howarth. Super Yacht Radio. This is Michael Howarth and Francis Hash, and we are around the world. And um, we, we get around the world, as you well know. We are on this occasion, however, in London, and the world has come to us because uh, our next guest is uh, really, truly a man of the world. He, uh, well, I'm going to let him tell you who he is, what he is and where he comes from and all the rest of it. I am, uh, however, going to just uh, introduce him as uh, Francesco Galli Zugaro, and he is the CEO and uh, founder of uh, Aqua Expeditions. So welcome to the show, Francesco. And I said, I said you were a man, an international man of the world because, you know, you're half is half there. You've lived here, you've lived there. Tell us about you. Okay, gladly. Thank you, Michael and Francis, for having me. Um, it's been a long time coming and happy to be here with you today. I have. I'm Italian-American, grew up in 16 countries, uh, spent a good time at school here in London. And then for 16 years after graduating from college in the US, I ventured into South America. And that's where I kind of cut my teeth into this industry, uh, starting the Galapagos Islands. And then after 10 years in Ecuador, six years in Peru, where I started Aqua Expeditions, my home now is Singapore, where I'm based with my family and three children. And that's where we call home. That's where our headquarters of our business is now based. And that's where I see a lot of the growth in this industry coming both from the supply side as an, our product offering and also from where we see a future growth in natural uh, consumers and guests that we'll have on board. So it's exciting times. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that and, and lots of other things during, during the show. But I'm interested because when we first met, you were based very definitely in Peru. What, what prompted um, you to sort of pick up your bags venture and... out there yeah well um, like I mentioned after having spent a good amount of time in the in New York and Boston where I went to school I got married in Ecuador my wife is British Peruvian father's British mother's Peruvian but they grew up uh, she grew up in Ecuador we got married in Quito and when I was there I started looking around for jobs I started working with a private sort of venture capital firm that invested in the Galapagos Islands we bought a boat in Vigo in Spain uh, was a supply vessel and then converted it in Fort Lauderdale into an expedition vessel called the Eclipse. She still operates today in the Galapagos Islands, but that wasn't my business. I loved it. I ran it for six years, all sales and marketing aspects of it. And that's where I really cut my teeth into it, into the industry. And then in 2006, when the kind of the business was sold off to a 2007, when the business was sold off to a large tour operator in the U.S., 
I managed to decide and say, okay, this is my chance to start something of my own and venture to South America and well, kept going south. It's, so with all those countries that you've lived in, mm-hmm. how many languages do you speak? I speak four languages, um, but my kids have beat me to it. They're now up to five, so, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's a good thing. You've no? got to work hard and catch up with them. Yeah, but Mandarin's uh, a bit too hard for me, so Ooh. they're now seven years into their Mandarin, and I don't know if I can compete. No, I think I would give up on that one yes. too. So we've we've got a lot to talk about, not least um, uh, from uh, our memories when we, when we first met us uh, way back in two thousand and and eight, right. and uh, we are going to be hearing about how you've suddenly become a super yacht owner. So let's uh, let's let's agree to uh, listen to uh, this first, and then we'll come back and chat about that. Perfect. Superior Radio and Francis and I are around the world, uh, this time uh, with uh, Francesco Gali Zugaro, and we are chattering about how he acquired uh, the, the, a yacht that we super yacht uh, uh, aficionados would, would call Titan. Uh, if you were Royal Navy, you'd remember her as HMS Beagle. Uh, if you really want to sort of be nerdy about it, you might even remember her as being a candidate for the Whistle Jacket Club. Um, but nevertheless, yeah. she's now going to be called the Aqua Blue. Aqua Blue without the E. Yes? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Why without the Because it's in Italian, and so uh, as an Italian, I always try to put an Italian slant to uh, my vessel's names, the Aqua uh, Nera, and so forth. So it has to have that connotation for me. It kind of always hits home. That's lovely. Uh, so you mentioned vessels there. How many, what's the total fleet? Well, the total by the end, uh, by the next summer, it'll be four, three river cruisers and our first explorer yacht. Uh, which is the Aqua Blue, otherwise known as HMS Beagle and the Titan. And I've, I fell in love with her when I first saw her in Genoa, where she was birthed and uh, as her home port for the last 10 years. As this Italian family uh, was based in Milan, it was uh, closest proximity for her there for them to keep it there. And she's been charting very well in the med for the past X number of years, but it has an incredible history to her. Mm. And, and I think that appealed to me. Whilst we weren't looking for, you know, as you know, to find an explorer yacht of this magnitude that has the capability to cater to 15 uh, cabins, 
it's hard. It's hard to find that right platform for it. And uh, we wanted something that was really had a history, that had the space, that had the endurance to really go out and venture into these remote parts of Indonesia. And uh, whilst it was not easy, I have to say, to actually actually close and have the ink dry on that contract, it was definitely a, a labor of love and of grit and passion and perseverance. I need to ask because mm. I'm I'm a yachty through mm. and through. Did you what other yachts did you look at? Did you, can you remember? <laughs> <I'm saying that laughs> you were going to ask that one, yeah. Beat you to it. Yeah, we looked at a lot, but um, we looked at things like. Um, I don't know, the Akula, which is one that's actually birthed nearby, but it didn't have the deck space and interior space. I mean, in this space and in this world, you can find so many platforms. We saw halls in Greece, we saw halls in Turkey, unfinished, abandoned projects that had the space that we could actually come in and take over them, purchase the hull and save ourselves five, six months worth of work because they're already class approved. But to actually find one, you know, you never know what you're going to get into when you take over and you purchase something of this nature because once you start going into a refit project, it could, you know, it could open a Pandora's box. Oh, yeah. So we did extensive uh, condition surveys to her. We hauled her out. We did um, really big Rena class. She's Rena class. We're keeping in her Rena class. She's classed for Solas as a passenger vessel uh, instead of a leisure yacht. And for us, the, it just hit all the right boxes for us. So it was. Who do you use as a broker? Uh, with Cambiaso Riso, right? Yeah, here in Singapore and in London, obviously, and uh, and then Rina's. You know, we're now working through the Rina office in Singapore. She is going to be maintaining Rina, but also Indonesian flag. And I think that's one of the key. While she's currently today under Panama flag, she will be Indonesia flagged in order to really be able to be a permanently. Vessel, permanent vessel in the Indonesian archipelago. Right. And so that's already a feature and a, a feat in and of itself to get her into Indonesian class and Indonesian flag. But um, the negotiation took over two years. Wow. So yeah. two years from the time you I first saw her, saw her to the time. Yeah. And, and some aspects obviously was with us in order to try and get the right uh, backing to, um, to purchase her and to get the right financing in place. And that's part of my delay, I guess, in certain aspects. But it's also dealing with, with a family and trying to have a lot of intermediary brokers in between. It wasn't easy. Mm. Sometimes I like, as an owner, I like to deal directly mm. with them who I'd like to do business with. And unfortunately, while his intentions were always there and good for everybody to try and have a deal done, you know, things get lost in translation. But we all know, of course, the, 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 the boat was, uh, she was for sale, but uh, the family didn't really, really, really want to get rid of us. So. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, an, it's an emotional thing. Yes. You know, as a yacht owner, you fall in love with these, um, you know, floating homes and you really want to uh, make sure that they end up in the right hands. And I think she has ended up in the right hands. I think uh, we've taken, they, they actually took incredible care of her. And at the time, actually, coincidentally, which what blew my mind was when I came on board for the first time, I was greeted by an incredible captain, Captain Luca, who today I think was uh, instrumental in helping me close the, the deal as well, but also 11 Indonesian crew. No. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so how fortuitous for this vessel to be based in Genoa, 11 Indonesian crew who were more than happy to consider now staying to work with her and now be close home, close to home and be able to go home on weekends in Bali. When oh, she's gonna wow. Right there. That, so that's, we yeah. weren't able to keep that was all fortuitous. of them. Yeah. We, were, we didn't end up keeping all of them. We kept three, which are the sort of chief stewardess, uh, one of the able-bodied deckhands and the oiler. 
And, and for us, that's, uh, you know, when you're buying something with such history, to be able to have someone who's worked on it for 11 years and the way that they've upkept her, I have to, my hat's off to them. They took such good care of the, of right. the Titan that it made my life easier. And are you keeping the captain? No, the captain, now we have an Italian captain on board that took the journey. The, um, the Titan just arrived, well, the Aqua Blue now reflagged, just arrived into Singapore. She left Genoa 35 days ago. She did a 35-day journey on her own through the Gulf of Aden, full security team on board, her minimum safe uh, crew, and did uh, the full journey on one fuel tank. Wow. So you brought, yes, because she's got a 6,000 mile range, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, 6 or 7,000 mile range. Okay. And she did um, 100, you know, 100, she's got capacity of 140,000 liters. No incidents going through the canal? No, just big waves in the Red Sea. Big no. waves, five meter rogue waves almost. Mm, nasty. And, um, but no, we dropped off the security team in Gal in Sri Lanka, and then she arrived in Singapore. She's now birthed there, going into the yard yesterday for a two and a half month refit in uh, in Singapore and I take delivery 31st of August. Got to ask, did you do any of the journey yourself? No, I wasn't allowed. My <laughs> insurance broker wouldn't let me. Trust me, I wanted to, but uh, they sent me pictures. Uh, obviously, they had to turn off and try to join. They joined the convoy after four or five days after they came out of Suez and they were able to join. No incidents, nothing, perfectly safe. Nothing's really happening in that part of the world these days. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a precaution people take. Um, and so now it's just uh, you know, part of precautions we take. And so they did yeah. take those precautions, but no, nothing that kept me up at night. So she's in Singapore, and you've um, put her into a, a soft refit. Mm -hmm. um, what, what have you? Uh, what have you decided to do? So quite extensive, but not really deep, deep down. The engines, first of all, the engines. There are four Lister Blackstones. They are. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going anywhere. I mean, <laughs> they said Francesco, if you're even considering changing the engines, don't buy the vessel. Yeah. it's not really yeah. worth it. I mean, they are. That will tear the whole vessel yeah. And they are beasts. They have. They will always get me yes. home. And obviously we found great spares and a full spare set of everything. I bought over 100,000 euros worth of spares to bring over on the vessel over to Singapore to keep her uh, fully a, um, autonomous. And um, we're keeping that. We fully overhauled them. Um, so they did the journey perfectly well. We're going to be doing 15 new um, bathrooms. All bathrooms are being gutted and redone. Uh, five new cabins. Obviously the owner's cabin while being 90 square meters. And my wife and I would love to keep it as a 90 square meter cabin. We're going to turn it into three 30 meter cabins. Still very spacious for um, cabins of this nature. Uh, we're doing a dive uh, door at the back on the swim platform on the transom because we obviously are going to be operating in the number one and the number three dive side of the world. And so we obviously want to be able to cater to that comfort of um, diving equipment. Uh, and then a full soft refit, so new loft, all the loose furniture is changing, all the upholstery, everything's being changed to really give it a more Asian and contemporary look and feel. So who's overseeing all this? Corderover. Corderover, as you may know in this space and in the yachting world, is considered one of the top designers of today. I met him in Taiwan um, at the Horizon Yard when we were talking to uh, Horizon for a possible project. He came to us and actually we approached him through a common broker friend of ours. And at the end of the day, I like to do business with people I get along with. And this is, you know, too, 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 too many hard, long days to do business with mm. whom you may respect, but there isn't a chemistry. And with Core, we really hit it off. He understood my vision. Um, he can take and pick and choose his projects today as he wishes. And this one, the history of the vessel, the size, 15 cabins, 60 meters. 
Um, he's dealing directly with the owners. He's dealing with me and my wife. And we had a very clear concept. And so we just said, let's get to work. I brought him and his team straight to Genoa. We got on the boat and we started drafting drawings and plans and sort of inspiration of what we want to do with her. And, and today we've got everything selected and they're starting to you know, protect the boat yesterday. So how long will she be in the yard? Two and a half months. It's a quit. And Singapore, as you know, is very efficient. I'm paying for it, but at least, uh, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, it's peace of mind. You know, they're doing it with the right quality material. We're doing it with all the right weight considerations. Uh, the durability of everything we're using is obviously up to class. And so I didn't want to cut any corners. I want to do it properly. Singapore is the right place. It's where I'm based. I can supervise it. And these projects need daily supervision. And mm. so this is the kind of attention that we do in all our projects. They certainly do. So we, uh, we've we heard that you're going to take her uh, to Indonesia, and uh, we are going to come back to that, I think, in a little while later, later on in the program. Uh, in the meantime, I want to uh, break for some music because uh, it's about time we did. And uh, then when we come back, I want to, uh, yeah, you know, because you sound a fascinating, you, you, must, you didn't just become a super yacht owner overnight. I'm guessing that there's some backstory. So so we're going to investigate the backstory if we may after this.
For Yacht Radio, making you feel good all, all day, day long. long. That was a great piece of music, and uh, welcome back to Around the World with uh, the pair of us, Francis and uh, me. And we are talking with uh, Francesco Gali Zugaro, who is CEO of uh, Aqua Expeditions, who have got ventures in the Amazon, in the Mekong, and upcoming in Indonesia. But it all started somewhere, and um, from what you said earlier, it started in Boston. Well, I say it started. You didn't start in Boston, but you you went to university there. Correct, I did, and that's when I kind of, having finished that phase of my life, I decided to venture south um, and head towards South America. What did you study? I studied communications in German. Perfect. And uh, yes, right in line with what I'm doing now, right? <laughs> yes. But it was obviously one follows one's passions and then see where things lead, right? But why the Galapagos? What sent you out there? Uh, actually, I, you know, I don't come from a maritime background. Obviously, my U.S. side of the family actually is all Navy, U.S. Navy. But I never thought that I would venture into that space. Um, I went to Ecuador to get married. I was married there and actually the day of my wedding day or that morning I interviewed for a job that took me to work with a private equity firm that invested in different ventures and one of them was an opportunity to buy licenses and run boats in the Galapagos and I kind of raised my hand and said I'll take that opportunity because it required international travel, it required multiple languages, ability to relate with different uh, tour operators and clients around the world. And I've quickly developed an act for it and a passion for it. So are you actually based in Galapagos? No, I was based in Quito. Uh, that's where my wife and I lived and that's where our three children were born. And, um, and obviously we'd go back and forth with, between Quito and Baltra and Puerto Ayora, the, the main island there. And that's where most of the vessels are based. Um, but obviously a lot of my time was also spent abroad uh, selling and marketing the business. But really, the, the mixture too gave me the operational know-how, and uh, which is highly complex, as you know, and the sales and marketing know-how. But do you you, you uh, were out in in in, in the Galapagos and uh, a, a great deal, Correct. and um, Correct. 
I'm, put a time on this. I'm, I'm, I'm a little puzzled because you, you well, look 25, is, but I'm, yeah, I'm guessing I'm you 40, might be able to... I'm 46, <laughs> uh, but I started very young. I've got a you know 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old. I've been wow. with my wife 28 years. So yes, I've uh, I've paid my dues and happily have plenty of energy to keep going for the future of what I have in mind. No, right. But so it's an interesting job for for a college. Leader. Yeah, twenty four year old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, the opportunity to take a vessel and refit her in Fort Lauderdale and launch the uh, you know at the time one of the best explorer yachts in in in, in uh, Galapagos. It was a twenty four cabin, forty eight passengers, sixty two hundred twenty footer. And, uh, and, you know, as you know, Galapagos is a license-restricted destination. Mm. They haven't issued new licenses in many years. Um, and obviously people are concerned because this is one of the top iconic World Heritage Sites. I mean, it's been put on the map, obviously, by, our, by Darwin. But there's such an incredible history to the islands. And exploring it by yacht is the way to go. But they've put measures in place to protect it. And, and I think the biggest threat today is not the wildlife, but it's actually the human population increasing in the islands. Yeah, which that's the, that, that's, that's that's the, that's the big risk. danger, yeah. isn't and, it? And the mindset of sustainability to be able to have a growing human population in an island that requires the right mindset to protect the islands. The wildlife is protected very well, and the park does an incredible job of monitoring landing sites and visitor sites and carrying capacity of the beaches and itineraries. They do an incredible job. It's a bit regimented, but Francis and I, when we were it out, has to be. yeah, it does. But when we were out there, I think you, you and I commented that the the, you, you, the, the seals were um, were uh, population of the seals was increasing, but uh, so was the population of the Ecuadorian, because it seemed that the uh, pastime of every thirteen year old and fourteen year old was to procreate, yeah. and uh, that's the great danger. There was a very interesting program we saw. I don't know whether you saw it on the BBC about it. Um, Ring of Flower, it was called. Yes. yes. And the problems it has and how it can have to solve them. Yeah, it's a great destination yes. to take a yacht. It is. But, it's, uh, it's 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 the you know it's on everybody's bucket list. Mm. It's something you have to do. And obviously, yes, taking a, a yacht, a private yacht, there has its. It is feasible. It, it obviously has its restrictions. They require the owner to be on board. So charter boats have always been shunned or actually prohibited. There's been cases where yachts have tried to come in with the owner not being on it and have difficulty. You have to hire a naturalist guide from the Galapagos Park to be on the yacht. And they're restricted by obviously no toys. No toys can be used. Yeah, but they're all very sensible. I'm just going to say, it's no bad thing. Yeah. It really yeah. isn't a bad thing. Did it thing. introduce you to environmental issues? Completely, completely. Obviously, the best practices that are now implied there, uh, implemented there, you know, make you think twice about making sure that all the systems on board the yachts are world class. There, um, and I think that's where there's improvements still can be made. There's still a lot of informality there. Some of the yachts that are operating there, obviously, you know, any private yacht arriving there is going to comply more and above any local standards. But the boats are picking up. There's a lot of new boats coming in, so the capacity of the Galapagos isn't growing. What's happening? is there's a renewal of fleets that's happening. Mm -hmm. No new licenses have been issued for over 10 years. The last few licenses that have been issued were mostly for day trippers or some scuba operators, I think. But if not, it's a matter of just renewing the fleets. Mm. And, but the, the, the boats are getting better, aren't they? I mean, they are. Definitely, they definitely. are. There was some pretty shoddy tonnage out there at one yes. stage. Yeah, there are. People's but, expectations are changing, aren't they? 
Yeah, and obviously uh, the cap is on the size. So the largest vessels currently in the Galapagos is 100 passengers, which is actually large already. Ideally, I'd say anything between 16 to 32 is perfect. That's yeah. that kind of that's the kind of excursion you want to have on a you know on a secluded beach where you're you know at the end of the day, what's key about the Galapagos is uh, the natural instinct of fear of the wildlife has disappeared because of the lack of predators. So you are swimming with penguins on one island and then with white tip sharks the next one mm. and that's the beauty of Galapagos. Yeah and to be able to walk up to them is so close. Yeah I mean they're basically you have to get out of their way it's not them getting out of your way. Oh yeah I mean uh, <laughs> they, the, the nests are on the floors because there's no predators so all the frigates and the blue-footed boobies and they're all so you have to walk around them they won't get out of your way. So there you are you are in the Galapagos you are doing well you are 20 what well, you're a bit, a bit older than 24 by this point. 30, yes. <laughs> so how many years were you based back? Uh, six years running all operations of this company called Ocean Adventures um, for the sales and marketing aspect and I fell in love with it and passed by very quickly. So what what made you decide to do to jump ship and do something different? Well basically it was a night I was working very long hours. I was traveling a lot. I was heavily involved in all aspects from uh, yard works. We were taking the, the eclipse down to Callao in Lima because the Peruvian Navy was doing some great works to some of the yard, to some of the vessels. And the opportunity came to sell the company. And that's when I sort of took an opportunity and said, okay, the vessel's doing very well. She sold well. She's a positioned well in the, in the charter world and in the FIT space. And I said, this is my chance to do something on my own. And I started heading south and I went to, you know, everybody at the time was doing Galapagos and Machu Picchu. That is the door opener to South America. Yeah, yeah. And so to do that, I said, okay, let me go see uh, this Amazon River that everybody's heard of. But the Amazon uh, is not really known until uh, people discovered that it's not only accessible through Brazil, but you can access the Colombia, you know, um, Peru and, uh, and Bolivia. And so I ventured south. Yeah, and I want to venture to the Amazon with you. I mean, figuratively speaking, you understand, um, in, in, in a few minutes. But in the meantime, we're going to just uh, listen to some music. And how about this one? I haven't ever really found a place that I call home. I never stick around quite long enough to make it. I apologize once again, I'm not in love. But it's not as if I mind that your heart ain't exactly breaking It's just a thought, only a thought But if my life is for rent And I don't learn to buy Well I deserve nothing more Nothing I have is truly mine I always thought that I would love to live by the sea To travel the world alone and live more simply I have no idea what's happened to that dream Cause there's really nothing left here to stop me it's just a thought, only a thought If my life is foreign And I don't learn to buy Well, I 
Yacht Radio. This is Super Yacht Radio. This is Around the World with uh, Francis and Michael Howarth, and we are talking with Francesco Galizugaro, CEO and uh, founder of Aqua Expeditions. And um, before the break, we were chattering about uh, how you uh, packed it all in, left the Galapagos, picked. Uh, Picked up your bags and headed south to Amazon. To the Amazon. Great place to go. I was it Amazon.com by then, or was it still yeah. just Amazon? No, just Amazon, just Amazon. <laughs> but yeah, I packed up a few bags, but by then I had my wife and three kids in tow. So oh I had a few more yeah. bags to pack. Yes, half a dozen at least. <laughs> so, so you, I mean, literally on a whim to. Mm-hmm. Was it a whim or was it no, a hunch? Was no, it, it wasn't a whim. I actually I rented a house in northern Peru on the border between Ecuador and uh, Peru at a time when the president of Ecuador was coming to power, which was at the time and no longer there, Correa. And I just saw that um, Peru was at a time of extreme growth. Luxury tourism was booming. Experiential tourism was booming. Machu Picchu was opening the door to incredible types of properties there. And I'd heard of the Amazon, I'd wanted to, everybody's heard of the Amazon, but but a lot of people relate the Amazon to Brazil. Mm. And very few people know that the Amazon is born in Peru. It's born in the Andes of Peru, near Arequipa, in the Coca Canyon, and and it flows through several tributaries out, obviously, through to the uh, uh, Atlantic Ocean. But to be able to do it in Peru, uh, I wanted to explore it. I wanted to see this natural natural reserve, which is the Pacaya Meteor Reserve, and, but then obviously I was faced with, uh, with the challenges of building there and doing something there. And that is uh, a true challenge because it is the biggest city in the world disconnected by roads. 
So it's the furthest inland seaport of the world. Right. So nothing bigger than our vessel and our river cruiser can go where we go. So you built her there. So if you've ever seen a movie called Fitzcarraldo, yes. well, obviously consider this a modern day Fitzcarraldo, maybe. Uh, but yes. But you didn't have to pick her up and carry her over no, a mountain. Pretty much so. But I'll oh, tell you, you about that project coming up in the next <laughs> few minutes because that's something I'm embarking on as well. But yes, so the story was uh, find a yard, uh, find a naval architect, find an interior designer, find a chef, and and it's at the end of the day a logistical game. Were there any other? yachts, boats on the Amazon at the time when you were Yes, the, I don't claim to be the first. I claim to be the first in our space at this top end kind of affluent yeah. explorer level. Uh, our guests are obviously, yes, yacht owners around the world and know that they can't bring their vessel up to this part of the world because mm. nothing beyond five, six foot of a draft can go where we go. So what you had there was three star level? Yeah, you had some, well, you had some of the traditional kind of uh, banana boats that are the hammocks uh, going from Manaus to Iquitos. Uh, those are traditional and still operate today. Uh, but then, yes, you had some more traditional river boats uh, going up the Amazon, but to this wildlife reserve called the Pacaya Media Reserve, which is a two million acre, the biggest natural reserve in, in Peru. 80% is underwater at any given time, so it's only accessible by water, and you have to do it on a, on a river cruiser. And so, yes, I commissioned a team of experts to build it for me. Was it obvious to you um, when, when you first saw it? I mean, was, was there a light bulb moment? I think that, that wow moment came to me when I rented a speedboat. You know, the thing about aqua expeditions is that we, I build itineraries. I scout the destinations. I design the vessels. I supervise construction. Obviously, it's, a, it's not a one-man show anymore. I have 185 people working with me. But at the end of the day, these are labors of love. And so every project, it's about a three-year project from designing, conceptually, scouting and um, and we I went to this reserve called the Pacaya Samedia Reserve which is otherwise known as the mirrored forest because of all these black water lagoons mm -hmm. and I was blown away by the beauty and I said you know whilst I'm doing it rough in a rough way now camping and there's I spent seven nights ca camping out in this reserve telling you stories that would make your hair stand up and I said I'll, I'll come back here with my luxurious river cruiser uh, when I can do this properly and show this part of the world to our guests that they only get one chance to do the Amazon and I get one chance to get it right and to show this part of the world in the right way I had to do it my way and then that's when I started putting so two you, and two together. you chose to build a yacht up there mm -hmm. I mean, I'm gonna call her a yacht I mean she's mm -hmm. not a yacht in the true traditional sense of the word mm -hmm. but I mean she's very yacht like in her accommodations Correct. and the luxury levels and and, 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 the, and, and the number of crew too. and the number of the ratio crew yeah, yeah. so very super yacht if, mm -hmm. if uh, you'll permit me to use that uh, description um, but you set about building her there I mean what did, yeah. did, I mean, they, did they think you were bonkers <laughs> they did when I started telling about the details that I wanted on her because obviously a lot the, the principal yard I used was a Peruvian Navy shipyard SEMA. SEMA is a great partner of ours has been along the ride with me for years now um, but it's the principal shipyard in Iquitos and traditionally they haven't been known to build uh, luxurious uh, river vessels but at the end of the day when I brought in my contractors which are five-star interior contractors and I had them build uh, but at the end of the day is a flat-bottom riverboat right mm -hmm. um, but beyond that obviously the interior is yeah super yacht style quality from the guest to guide ratio and we built the 16 cabin cruiser the Aria and uh, and launched her and yes the yard did their part my interior contractors did, did their part but remember getting a lampshade from Lima 
up to Iquitos. You either fly it there and then you're paying a fortune in cargo, but from steel plates to the cylinders for, for welding, everything the yard has to bring is a 1700 mile drive from Lima to Pucallpa and then a five day downriver based on water levels, five to seven day downriver barge up to Iquitos. So the logistics are incredible. Mm. So yeah, it is a modern day Fitzcarraldo because I didn't have to bring it over the mountains, but I actually did by it road and barge, yeah. We, 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 we France, France and I spent a little time in the uh, Amazon at, at one point. In your part of the thing, we went to uh, Incaterra. Beautiful part, And yeah. one of the uh, excursions we did uh, by boat mm -hmm. was to find the replica of Fitzgeraldo's boat yeah. that uh, they built for the film. And Correct. we found her. We yeah. found her. And she's rotting away in, right. in, in, the, in the jungle. On Very the sad. the Madre de Dios River, on the banks of the Madre exactly. de Dios, Tambopata. Yeah. That's, that's where we found her. Because I'd forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. I've been there and I know yes. exactly. It's yes. the Ollanta. Yeah, the name of the vessel. And yeah, so right now, obviously, what we built is a modern day Florida glass ceiling, um, luxurious uh, expedition river cruiser. But the logistics that were involved are enormous. But at the end of the day, what I, what I want to offer our guests is to see you know, the pink dolphin, to experience seeing a sloth in their environment and, and do that. You know? We're going to talk about that because I think that's, you know, that's, those are some of the big, big draws of, of the Amazon. Those are reasons to, to go. So let's talk about that, if we may, Francesco, um, as soon as we have uh, listened to this. If the sun don't shine.
is Subiart Radio, and we are around the world with um, our very good friend uh, Francesco, um, who's uh, CEO of uh, Aqua Expeditions. We've been chattering so much about uh, building your new ship in in, in the Amazon that um, and, and and you launched her and and, and she started. But we haven't really talked about the Amazon, so right. um, I mean. You've opened up this market, but tell me, I mean, how, what are you selling her? I mean, what, what? What's the experience? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why, well, would I, why would I want to go? Well, everybody's heard of Amazon. And everybody usually, like I mentioned before, is, relates to Amazon to the Brazilian Amazon. And the Amazon can be accessed through Ecuador, through Colombia, through Peru, or through Brazil. And so I chose the Peruvian Amazon for numerous reasons. Once, it's uh, where the Amazon is born. Second, it's easy to get to. You fly from Lima to Iquitos directly. It's an hour and 15 minute flight and it made it sense. It made sense and it's a perfect complement to Machu Picchu. And second, as a nice natural barrier, no bigger ships than ours can go where we go. And that with a five, six foot draft means that we can kind of natural barrier, keep out everybody else and maintain this relatively fragile ecosystem intact because only 15, 15 to 17,000 tourists can go there, of which we carry about seven. So it gives you a nice controlled environment to protect it for the foreseeable future. So you're Numeru Uno on the on the upper Yeah, I would say I'm the only one. I think there's a few other boats, but they're not. We're not talking big numbers. Yeah. And I think that's the uh, you know rarely can you go anywhere today without seeing other guests. So you're the only ones that are at, at super level. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think we've definitely carved out our own niche. We're catering to our guests that are looking for world class experience, soft adventures sort of what I call nine to five adventures. Mm. People want to go out and rough it and go and explore the Amazon all on private speedboats. So we have four tenders with the, with the uh, Aria. And you go out on what we call river safaris and then come back to a glorious floating base camp that's world class. And when did you start this? What year was it? So 2008, we launched our first cruiser, um, the Aqua she Amazon. How many guests? She took 24 guests and in 12 cabins. And then in 2011, we launched the Aria, which is our current one. We no longer have the Aqua Amazon. We have the Aria Amazon. And then, obviously, as you alluded to, we have news because we just announced uh, our new baby, which is going to be coming online next summer, uh, the Aquaneta, which is taking the design element to another level. In what way? Well, obviously, with experience, I'm now continuing. I want to see, make sure people recognize Aqua as an innovator in our space, as a market leader in what we do. And our guests are just getting more and more demanding. And so whilst I don't think I have to reinvent what we're doing, we've obviously got to up the ante as far as design. So the vessel today, the Aqua, uh, the Adi Amazon gets completely refurbished every four years. We want to make sure that our vessels never look tired, that the type of guests that are coming obviously want first-class uh, accommodation and service. The Aquaneta will fill that gap as well, but obviously larger cabins, larger bathrooms, so 30 to 32 square meter cabins, um, and attention to detail like you wouldn't believe. The leather goods, the material fabric wallpapers, the materials that we use in the bathroom. The inspiration behind the Aquaneta has been this rubber boom era of influence of colonial sort of Peru with Portugal, because Iquitos now, a lot of the buildings are still tiled with outside Portuguese 
tiles. So we built that into the bathrooms of the Aquaneta. We built colonial frames into some of the frameworks of the cabins. There were leather goods, um, leather work into the headboards. You'll see that it, the Neda connotes this black water lagoon of the Amazon to make the vessel kind of dark because there's so much exterior color coming in from the outside of the Amazon of the reserve we're in that that's what gives it that brightness. So we're really excited. So Talk where do your guests come from? Our, our guests are affluent explorers. These are people that have been everywhere. They're looking for something new. They want to not sacrifice any creature comforts. They are traveling the world all the time. They want, to a certain degree, obviously, check off that famous bucket list that instead of shortening, keeps getting longer and longer. Um, but this is one of those iconic destinations of the world that's always been known, but for fear of thinking, you know, uh, I don't know, I think of Amazon and many people may think of heat and bugs. Well, doing it with us, it's a complete different experience because the Aria or the Aquanera um, does twice daily excursions. We do it on our very comfortable tenders. So there are 25 foot tenders, each with eight guests and one world-class naturalist guide. And you're exploring this with the comfort of a nice breeze. You're exploring deep into the stupid blackwater lagoons, looking for all those, uh, I wouldn't say the big five in Africa, but our little five and a lot more than that. And amongst the little five are um, some pink dolphins, which I think... Correct. Where else? I mean, I've never heard of pink Well, a lot dolphins. of people think that, you know, we might be joking or that the pictures we print are not uh, true. But yes, they are pink and they're pink for a particular reason. They're pink because not of what they eat, like flamingos. And they're pink because their skin is very thin and their blood flows very close to the surface of their skin. And so actually the more active they are and the more playful they get, the pinker they get. So you actually <laughs> witness them when in the water. We've got two types of dolphins, gray uh, dolphins and pink do dolphins. And they're both freshwater dolphins. Dolphins. Actually, they've been seen to come out, out into the Atlantic, way into Brazil, up to 50, 60 miles into open seas because of the runoff of the Amazon. But we guarantee them. You will see pink dolphins on any trip you come with us. And Whoa, that's we guarantee them. Money wow. back guarantee. <laughs> Mark my words. Oh, risky one. Yeah. No, no, you will. They're not endangered. You know why they're not endangered? Because they're protected by local myth, because the locals believe that the pink dolphins come out at night into villages and steal the good-looking women. And so by local myth, they're protected, so. Sorry, do, do that bit again. The, the, I said the locals believe that the pink dolphins come out at night out of the river, steal all the pretty women from the villages, and then take them back. And so <laughs> by local myth, the locals don't touch the pink dolphins. They're not hunted. They're not fished. They're not caught. I think it would be the opposite. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, want, I'd want to stop them stealing with yeah. the women, but they... Yeah. No, they're fearful, and out of fear, they're protected, so um, you know, it's a good deterrent. So I'm, I'm told that there's 20% of the world's population of birds lives up in the Amazon and that sort of area. I mean, that, so yeah, the, the marine biodiversity, like, the bird, it's a bird watcher's paradise. But yeah. at the end of the day, people want to come see this part of the world because that you won't see other guests. I mean, where do our uh, guests want to go where they don't get bothered? They can be private. They can be exclusive. They can have that privacy. Uh, we can pretty much ensure the entire week you're in an expedition with us. You won't see other guests. Right. So you make you make a point of that. Yeah. yeah. And and that's important because our guests, you know, they travel the world, they will have their privacy, they want their exclusivity, and to be able to do this in privacy and comfort is a big attraction for those. Is there an average age of your guests? Yeah, I'd say about 50, 55, getting younger. These are, you know, safari buffs, these are Antarctic buffs. So the 
plants are used to being outdoors. They want to eat world-class food. And Peruvian food today is known to be some of the top food in the world. And um, so we do get a lot of families, a lot more families than you think. I think people think, they think this idea of river cruising and maybe they connote it with something that's European waterways, but this is nothing like it. So what we do is obviously provide a multi-generational trip for kids, families, but also a lot of private charters. A lot of our guests are buying out the area and doing family generational trips and for 15 for 12 cabins it's a perfect uh, large family so you've got one one yacht um, running up the amazon or in the amazon at the moment correct and now so let's talk about aquanera which is going to be coming soon correct um building her where in quito again no no i won't be building her in iquitos i'll be building her in ho chi minh which is nowhere near Peru. Correct. So what, what happens is that, um, yes, obviously people are probably scratching their heads right now, but wondering why I did that. Obviously, based in Singapore, I found a, a group of suppliers, of contractors, of yards in Vietnam that built the Aqua Mekong. And that uh, I was Which is your yacht on the, on on the Mekong. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about her in a little while. Yeah. And so I decided to uh, make my life somewhat easier, I'd say, by uh, contracting with a yard that I've worked with before, contracting with the contractors I know, and then just add that extra layer of adventure, which is once I take delivery of her next July, to put her on a heavy lift boat and transport her to Brazil, which is obviously the only way to get her into the Peruvian Amazon, and then have her delivered in Belen, and then navigate her upriver, cross the border, and bring her to Iquitos via river. So you're doing, again, something rather like a, a super yacht owner, putting, putting the yacht on, on a, um, yeah. a semi-submersible and uh, shipping her across the Atlantic. Well yeah. done. Yeah. So you really have joined the super yacht fraternity here. I did. I put a, <laughs> put a little extra challenge in there, but, you know, I like to stay active. So this, this new uh, yacht, she's, mm -hmm. she's going to be obviously bigger. She's obviously going to be better. I mean, what? What sort of uh, lessons did you learn um, that you've incorporated into the new design? Um, I'd say I always thought that I'd make my life easier as I keep building and developing and designing new vessels, but actually make it more complicated because I'd, I, can, I start life, becoming, yeah, I, I start <laughs> being more demanding on the materials I want to use, on the details, and then. These are yachts and cruisers that I build that are uh, highly, highly specced. And so every attention to detail has been thought through. I want to give the vessels a sense of place. I want to give them a sense of socially responsible material that we're using. I want to give, obviously consider everything from safety and class requirements, but also from uh, the weight. We're obviously on fresh water, so you've got to keep that in mind. Whilst we're not in, in sea and, and in salt water. So all that has to be kept in mind whilst in the environment we're operating in. So the right materials to make sure that the vessels never look tired, that we keep them top of class and obviously looking always nice and, uh, and fresh. And we've considered that, but every new build on this Aquanera now, uh, the attention to detail is second to none. It's really going to raise the bar again. Let's just talk about her environmental credibility. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that she's got sewage treatment plants and all the rest. Course, what about yes. en engine exhausts? Yeah, everything's obviously on tier three compliant right. EPA standards. Um, we're obviously so being you really are working to super yacht standards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we want to. You know, I'm, a res uh, I'm I'm aware that I'm operating in a very fragile ecosystem. Obviously, already by being uh, on the water on 
on a, on a cruiser of this type, we're already having less of an impact than a large is because a large obviously has a permanent presence and this being on a, on a vessel of this kind, it just allows us to cover my area. And yes, we're responsible for the outboard engines that we use, to the material that we use, to all the systems on board. Uh, everything's kept online. Obviously, you zero one-time use plastic. We source locally, we supply locally, we hire locally, and we have a big community engagement, that's, which is probably the biggest aspect. That's great. And so that's that, That's all, all about the Amazon, and, and, and uh, clearly the, the new... You decided to do something different next. Well, no, correct. Stay tuned. To actually move. Well, before the you before you get onto that, Francis, I think we are uh, going to have to play some music. So let's uh, let's let's come back to that if we can, Francesco. Let's uh, let's listen to this first.
You're listening to Super Yacht Radio. This is Super Yacht Radio. This is Francis and Michael around the world. And we are chattering with uh, Francisco Galizuaro, who is the CEO of uh, Aqua Expeditions. And uh, we've been chattering about uh, how you you, you went from the Galapagos, you went to, uh, created the... the, the market almost in, in, in the Amazon. And then clearly you've got itchy feet because you've up sticks, packed your bags, packed the children, packed the wife and moved to Singapore. I mean, what Correct. prompted you to do that? I guess um, you're true. I obviously on the move again. But, um, you know, I think what drove it is the requirement from our past guests to deliver them similar experiences in other parts of the world. And, you know, as, as, as an owner myself, as an avid adventure explorer and, and understanding our guests, um, you know, once they've done South America, then we're next. Okay, well, you head off to either Sub-Saharan Africa or you head off to Southeast Asia. And so what drove my business, which was Machu Picchu and the Amazon, I was looking for that new iconic destination. And what better than Angkor Wat and Siem Reap in Cambodia and then an iconic river like the Mekong? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is one of the great unexplored uh, rivers too, really, in, 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 in many ways. So super yachting on the Mekong, and you, you, you built a boat, presumably? Correct. I built our, the Aqua Mekong in 2014 in Ho Chi Minh. Using the experiences of the uh, area? Yes, uh, to a certain degree. I was the common denominator in that project as well, but then I hired a new design team in Ho Chi Minh, an incredible interior design team in, uh, out of a company in, called Noor. Then I hired a Singaporean yard called Triyards that had a shipyard in Ho Chi Minh. Right. So I had Singaporean management, which always gives uh, gives me that kind of assurance and communication because I don't speak Vietnamese. And then delivered the Aqua Mekong to me in Ho Chi Minh on October 2014. And she's been plying the river up between Ho Chi Minh, Nam Penh, and Siem Reap in Cambodia for the last four years. And doing it successfully. Yes, I think we've uh, differentiated ourselves. There's about 12 other cruisers on board, but nothing of the caliber of the Aqua Mekong. Right. Uh, we're the only vessel with four private tenders. So all the excursions are private on our tenders with our guests and with our guides. And obviously, from every aspect, from the contemporary design of the vessel to the F&B, we partnered up with David Thompson, a well-known Australian chef, obviously considered one of the top in his field in Thai food, who's created an incredible culinary journey between Vietnam and Cambodia. And then obviously the guest experience. So you get to eat the the country as well as uh, see it. That's, Correct. That's cool. So how many how many guest cabins? So 20 cabins, uh, 20 suites, big, large, 320 foot, uh, 30 square meter cabins, 40 guests, 40 crew. Right. So um, I'm guessing um, that, that most of the um, uh, guests on board uh, travel, uh, they, they rent the cabin. I mean, it's, it's a head boat, if you will. But let's just take uh, somebody who wants to charter the whole thing. Is that we, possible? Completely. We, we welcome charters and we're big supporters of charters. Uh, value for money is incredibly there because you're getting a much larger vessel than traditionally you can. So you can get these multi-generational buyouts. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our clients are bringing friends and family together and they're doing something different you know I mean most of our guests and other yacht owners have done the Caribbean they've done uh, the med their vessels are usually there but to be able to go to this part of the world and do something different 
and have the bragging rights to say I did the Amazon, I did the Mekong is, is, is a driver as well. But to see this through our eyes with the comfort of a floating base camp like a luxurious river cruiser like Aqua Mekong hasn't been done before. And what sort of things, I mean, we, we saw, you, you say we could see pink dolphins in, in the Amazon. What sort of thing? Could well, here the highlight, there are, there are dolphins obviously on the, there are Irrawaddy dolphins on the Mekong. Uh, they're slightly further towards the border of Laos and, um, and Cambodia. But here it's more about the culture. There, right. It's a strong cultural component. So here it's life on the Mekong. I mean, the Mekong gives life to about 60 million people uh, live to a certain degree off of the Mekong from from China all the way through the South China Sea. Whilst we only operate between two countries, life on the river is bustle and uh, hustle and bustle on the Vietnamese side and then very kind of romantic uh, ox cart pulled rice paddies on the Cambodian side. So seeing life on the river from a comfort of a luxurious vessel like this on speedboats or by bikes I think people have an understanding, they think river cruising is not being active. And on the Mekong, every day you have twice biking excursions. You have biking 12 to 20 kilometers in the morning and similar in the afternoon. So our guests pick and choose their own adventure based on their interest. They want to go to the market with our chef, they can do that. They want to go on speedboats and do tender drives up and down the river to, into different tributaries, they can do that and see floating markets, floating homes. Or they can go on bikes and do temple visits and have Q&A sessions with monks by while they ride through a, a little village by bike. So it's very, very customized. Our guests and yacht owners of today want to be able to say, you know what, I woke up today, I want to do this, and I want to change their mind on a whim. You talk with such passion about these things, so I'm guessing that you're on board on, almost on a daily basis. I, I enjoy getting on board. It's cool to see who our guests are. And obviously, as we're getting to a demographic that, of this caliber, you get some very interesting characters on board and very open-minded because they know they're booking, uh, either they do a, a cabin purchase and they know they're going to relate and network with a group of individuals that are of the same caliber, or they're doing a private buyout, of which obviously I don't join. Um, but either way, it's an incredible part of the journey. And to do this between Vietnam, Cambodia, upriver or downriver, any week of the year, and how often you how do often? one one direction one week, one direction the other? Exactly, yes. And then how much how often do you get guests repeating? So most of our guests who repeat are now repeating between different rivers and different bodies of water where we operate in. So they've done the Amazon, now they're doing the Mekong. They've done the Mekong, they want to do the Amazon. Rarely do you get repeat on the same river. Right. Uh, they might do one trip with friends and then come back a few years later with all their grandchildren or with their extended family. That happens, but the, traditionally they, so these are yeah. once-in-a-lifetime trips. Right, right. So, you've been doing this for what now? Four years? On the Mekong? Yeah, five years, entering my fifth year. Yeah. So, and now you are doing something he's getting new itchy, again. He's getting itchy feet again, I can tell. I, I, can tell. I, I think you're getting to get the grasp <laughs> of things, yes. Obviously, I still have this passion in me. Uh, my clients and our guests uh, require me to deliver. I have uh, an inbred kind of spark that keeps me exploring. I've spent, I've done 15 scouting trips to Sub-Saharan Africa, look at bodies of water there, where we could put something that's off the charts. I spent 10 days in Lake Kariba and Zimbabwe last year, exploring all of Lake Kariba to see what could be done there. And yes, I decided to venture into a different part of the world, and that part of the world today is Indonesia. Yeah. So now you're going from a river cruising to see what cruising. Correct. Coastal cruising is kind of going back a little bit back to my roots of what mm. I what, where I cut my teeth into Galapagos. So and today 
you know, Komodo National Park, where we're going to go into, is the Galapagos of Southeast Asia. This sounds fascinating, and uh, this is going to bring us into this new territory of Aqua Blue, which is uh, the super yacht uh, that we all know as, uh, as Titan, or new as Titan, and uh, I look forward to welcoming as uh, Aqua Blue. Uh, stay with us, uh, Francesco, because I want to talk to you about uh, the three new destinations you're going to open up uh, with, with her. So um, we're going to listen to some music for, uh, for a little while first, and then we're going to come back and talk about Aqua Blue. My God is great, and I and I wish to be free, like the birds in the tree. Get up, rise up and shine. Make no mistake. 
This rap, is Superyacht Radio and uh, Francis and Michael Howarth around the world. And we are talking with Francesco Galli Zugaro, who is the CEO of uh, Aqua Expeditions. You've heard me say it before, but trust me, it's well worth saying again. Uh, here is a man who has uh, acquired his first superyacht, having sort of cut his teeth in the Galapagos and uh, set up river cruising in the Amazon and the Mekong Delta in very definitely superyacht style. Uh, although we've never actually got to venture it, we got very close, but not quite. Um, but we are looking forward to hearing more about Aqua Blue, which is the new uh, new yacht. So we, we, we know she's in build. Yeah, so we, well, yeah. refit. Refit, yeah, not yeah. yeah. quite right, refit. So when will she be in Indonesia? So she arrives in Indonesia um, sometime in September, when after I take delivery of her at the end of August in Singapore, and then she'll have her maiden voyage November 16th out of Bali. Mm. So it's exciting times, and yes, uh, this is, I'd say, a new venture of ours, definitely, but not something that I haven't done before, and it's a different part of the world, but I think that's what drives it. It's got to be a passion of mine. It's got to make sense on every aspect. It's going to check check all our boxes. For me to consider a new destination, it's got to have the wildlife component. It's got to have a cultural component. It's got to have a world-class dining component. It's got to have a contemporary design element, which the Aqua Blue will obviously check definitely that's that box and a one-to-one crew-to-guest ratio. How long did it take you to explore the area, to Um, find out what you wanted to do? So it's 17,000 islands in 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 uh, high tide and 18,000 islands in low tide so i can't claim to be an expert in indonesia but definitely i've done my bit of homework and done a, quite a few scouting trips and really blew my mind of what the government is trying to do is trying to develop the 10 new bali's bali's saturated everybody knows bali is an incredible destination but really the beauty of indonesia is beyond bali and now to venture into these three new destinations which are komodo national park the spice islands again a big, big um, dry, uh, crowd pleaser, and the iconic limestone formations of um, Raja Ampat and West Papua are our three new uh, home ports. Mm. Well, Francis and I have enjoyed, and in fact, broadcast uh, for Super Yacht Radio all about uh, Raja Ampat. It was a trip we made uh, some months back, and uh, we were totally blown away. Blown away. Incredible. I mean, it um, is incredible. Um, new last frontier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost yes, um, uh, we, we 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 saw a great deal. Um, so, but since we've we've done that talk, mm-hmm. let's talk um, a bit about the other two because Bradley. she's going to start in um, Bali. You say right. uh, first voyage, and where she sail from to uh, so, where she, she sail to? A, is there more to the point? Is there? a time of year that dictates where you're going to be, yeah. or can you just move around? No, so what, what, what I'm trying to do with the Aqua Blue is to try to make the, what is considered a difficult destination to actually uh, buy into, make it easier to, to buy on, on, on a private basis, either for charter or for individual cabins. Because right now, Indonesia is serviced by some beautiful Phoenici schooners, uh, but most of them are, are charter boats, and, and then they do have their limitations. Whilst I've been on some beautiful ones, they are one engines, they are the wooden hull, and they obviously have some sort of big bellies, and so sometimes the navigation at night is limited to their distance to for the comfort of the guests. So at this, the Aqua Blue will be the first permanent-based Indonesian flags explorer yacht. And, and to be able to do this on a guaranteed basis for an FIT, in other words, individual cabins, and to cover the distance with greater comfort, speed, 
and uh, autonomy hasn't been done before. So the Aqua Blue is going to operate Bali to Komodo, seven nights one way or seven nights the other way. But I'm going to go into Moyo Island, biking up to the to the to some of the waterfalls there, into Sala Bay of Sumbawa, where it's high probability of uh, whale shark snorkeling, so you don't have to dive, and then into Sangyang Volcano, into Komodo. And remember, Komodo is a dragon, Komodo is an island, and Komodo is a national park. And so we need to educate those um, guests of ours knowing that Komodo is not closed. And there's these rumors that Komodo might be closed next year. It's I wouldn't say fake news. There's an interest to try and protect big cruise ships from coming to Komodo, and I'm all a uh, big fan of supporting that. We obviously wouldn't use any ranger station in Komodo that caters to that. There's only one that caters to big, big ships. We're talking big cruise ships. We stay clear of that, and we go into southern um, sort of Horseshoe Bay, where the Komodo is known to come out of the mangroves onto the beach and into the water, so to see it really in their natural habitat. And we navigate 400 nautical miles in a week. So we cover a large mm. amount of distance mm. for, uh, for a charter. And, uh, and that's second to none. That's more than double in any Finisi. So you're generally navigating by at night time. Yeah. So while the guests are asleep, you're moving. Exactly. So Komodo is really the, it's going to be six months here. Remember, Indonesia spans four time zones. So we're going to be always staying ahead of the weather at the time of the place we're in. So six months, April to September in Komodo, then these cross-destination journeys, which is Komodo to Flores and the Forgotten Islands, which are known exactly for that reason. No one goes there. We'll be visiting that and then heading towards the iconic and lesser known Spice Islands. And that is really kind of the piece, the resistance, because very few people know the history of the Spice Islands. And, uh, and I think that's what blew my mind. Walking into Bandaneira and seeing stainless steel cannons, uh, steel cannons thrown on the side of the river, uh, the side of the town because the galleons wanted to, uh, you know, remove some weight to load up more nutmeg and cinnamon and spice is incredible. And yeah. That is a living museum. And we're the first explorer yacht to go there permanently for two months out of the year, guaranteed departures of seven nights. Yeah, it sounds absolutely wonderful. And Aqua Blue is uh, clearly the, the yacht to, to take you there. So uh, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting to you, Francesca. And uh, I've only really got one, uh, one question left. I mean, Go in, for it. in five years' time, what's the next what's new the, destination? My... I mean, should I get my diary out and start to plan already? I've always got something on my sleeve, obviously, whilst you won't get it out of me today. Oh, come uh, on. So no, because we won't tell anyone, honestly. Yeah. 45,000 <laughs> listeners, I promise you, they'll, they'll, they'll all sign an NDA. The difficult part about <laughs> this is selecting them. Whilst they have to check a lot of boxes, as I mentioned before, to make it a viable destination, obviously it's a passion of mine there are long projects but the advantage is a, a, a yacht of this size a 60 meter yacht like this can basically go anywhere in the world and so that's the key i mean yes we're touching into uh, indonesia now but nothing stops me from going tomorrow to the kimberleys or to other parts of the world and explore uh, obviously um you know i think five years from basically pu pulling out a boat every three years right so 11 years 12 years four vessels so if you were to begin to look now for a new super yacht, you, you'd go that route? To, no, to no, I'm saying that that's close to Indonesia, so I can take a quick side trip if someone wanted to charter her for two, three weeks. Oh, right. I could do Kimberley's okay. and, um, and Rajampat, or right. Kimberley's and Kanderwash Bay and Papua. So I could do quite a lot with her, and she's got the autonomy, the fuel capacity, and all the systems on board to navigate, and she's classed for that purpose. However, no, I think that uh, the destinations have to be 
different enough to complement each other, to have that sort of guest that stays loyal to Aqua Expeditions and continues traveling with me in different parts of the world. Quick question, has she, because uh, you mentioned the Kimberleys, and I mm-hmm. immediately think of, of uh, flying over the Kimberleys mm-hmm. in a helicopter. Uh, is uh, Aqua Blue going to be uh, carrying so a helicopter? R- right now, no, I did have a quote done for her, and it is possible. Stability-wise is obviously the biggest important aspect of having a helipad on board, whilst that I consider putting a jet fuel capability on it to refuel her. Um, yeah, it's something that I've discarded now. Uh, I've discarded for the time being now for the first season, but we'll see if there's enough charter demand to get us to put a uh, helipad on it. I might consider, but for now, uh, I think we're, we're good. Well, uh, I'm uh, delighted that we've had a chance to talk with you. I'm delighted that we've uh, uh, had a super yacht owner actually on board, on board our show. And uh, thank you for joining Francis and I uh, around the world with Super Yacht Radio. Uh, all I can say is that we look forward to hearing about the new adventure when it occurs, or even perhaps before it occurs. Thank you too to Mango PR, who helped uh, organize this uh, interview and uh, have hosted us so well. Uh, Mango PR have uh, handled quite a lot on, in the way of Super Yacht clients in, in, in the past, and uh, no doubt will continue to do so in the future. So thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, stay tuned to Super Yacht Radio for more adventures of Francis and Michael as we venture around the world. From Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community, Super Yacht Radio. Around the world with Michael Howarth. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening. A recording for Blue Note Records.
jam, boogie woogie jam slam Bust the dialect, I'm the man in command Come flow with the sounds of the mighty mic master Rhyming on the mic, I'm bringing suckers to disaster Boo-coo ducks, but I still rock Nike With the razzle-dazzle, star I might be Scribble, jabble, scrabble on the microphone I babble as I fix the funky words into a puzzle Yes, 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 on and on as I flex Hit with the flow, birds manifest Feel the vibe from here to Asia Dip, trip, flip, fantasia Ow, you don't stop Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on Give me more of that funky horn. What's that? 